Welcome to Humanity Unlocked, where we know that listening to someone's story with an intent to gain insight is an important key in unlocking each person's humanity. Your host, Kimberly, is known for her profound curiosity in human behavior, giving her a long-standing reputation for being a deeply engaged and exceptional listener. Each one of us has a unique origin story that helps to explain the unfolding of the path we've traveled. When the story gets told, it provides a glimpse into the context and nuances that we, the listeners, may have otherwise never considered. Join Kimberly as she embarks on the journey of a lifetime to unlock and reveal the humanity of every person she meets. Here's Kimberly. Hi guys, welcome back to Humanity Unlocked. I am your host, Kimberly Daya, and with us today is the incredible... Rochelle Dittmore. Rochelle is the co-founder and executive housing director at City of Refuge, Sacramento. I was informed about Rochelle and her organization by my wonderful hairstylist, shout out to Trista Clark. Um, Rochelle also happened to be a client of Trista's, and when I told Trista the premise for the podcast, she encouraged me to connect with Rochelle, which I did immediately. At At the time, I had very little, if any, real idea about what I would come to find out later about Rochelle and her organization, City of Refuge, Sacramento. But I knew I wanted to do an episode on homelessness uh, to get an idea for how and why homelessness occurs. Um, I think we can all agree that there is a stigma attached to this issue. Uh, The judgments are harsh and they are cruel. And not unlike other issues we discuss on the podcast, such as addiction, abuse, uh, divorce, to name a few, the answer for why and how homelessness occurs and persists is not as simple as they're lazy or they don't want to work or they just want to live off the system. Just like judgments made about addiction, you know, or abuse aren't that simple as we've discussed. I knew I wanted to host an episode on this topic and talk about the nuances that surround it because the humanity of homeless, of the homeless population, it appears that it's going unrecognized. And That fact alone has been highly disturbing to me for some time now. When I met Rochelle for the pre-interview, I was totally blown away. Let me just start there. Because there were having, there we were having the exact discussion I had always wanted to have with someone who had answers to the questions I think we all have. Like most of the issues we talk about here, I had a suspicion that homelessness itself is the result of so much more that lies beneath the surface. Uh, where so many people are refusing to look. I've asked Rochelle to join me to help us unpack this issue in order to discover and discuss the root core of the homeless crisis, a crisis that not only exists in California, but nationwide. With over 25 years of full-time outreach experience, I can't think of anyone more qualified to have this conversation with. So with that said, please help me welcome to the podcast this remarkable woman, Rochelle Dittmore. Michelle, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, what an honor. What an honor. Thank you. Honor is ours. Okay, so but before we dive in, I want I would love to give us give uh, the listeners a little bit of background on you. You're a married mom of three. You grew up here in California, I think in Southern California. And together with your husband, is it Lauren? Yes. Lauren, you founded City of Refuge Sacramento. But going back a little bit further, can you tell us about when you started working in community outreach? Absolutely. Um, I actually was a senior in high school, and my high school history teacher 
Dave Powers, Mr. Powers, um, who his family still supports us to this day. Oh, shout out to Mr. Yeah, Powers. Yeah, shout out to Mr. Powers. He, uh, he said to me, he said, come here, I'd like to talk to you after class. He said, I have a friend of mine that has an organization in the inner city of LA, and they do these weekend trips uh, for high school st students to go and serve in the city. Would you like to go? And I said, I would love to. And uh, I ended up going my senior in high school. Um, I was sharing this morning. I'm like, I grew up in a very traditional family. Yeah. Um, I, my parents were immigrants. And, you know, college was really not on my family's radar. Like, I didn't grow up in that world in that time. And, and so I ended up graduating from high school and did a summer internship at 18 years old in the inner city of L.A. And... Um, I honestly, I never left. Uh, I ended up that next year moving to the city and working for an incredible organization, Center for Student Missions, for two years. And it led me to Sacramento in 1997, uh, oh, where wow. I just continued that work. So it has been, sister, it's been almost 30 years wow. of just living and working and learning. Um, but so it all much. started your senior year of high school. It all started my senior year of high school, and I just celebrated my 48th birthday. Wow. <laughs> and you knew just immediately this I is did. what I'm called to do? I did. Wow. You know, it's so, so cool. interesting. I have a picture in my office of a woman that I just, I'll never forget. Her name is Deborah. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I do, I remember the moment uh, there was a soup kitchen in South Sacramento, I'm sorry, South LA, mm -hmm. and um, we would go there three days a week and serve in the morning breakfast, and they would serve lunch and dinner, but our group would go at like six o'clock in the morning, and I remember watching her come up with her bike and her cans, and there was a dumpster, and you know, housing projects across the street. When you look at cities, it's so multifaceted, mm -hmm. right, of all the things that you see. And her name was Deborah, and I remember just feeling an, an overwhelming amount of love. And I looked at her and I just felt, I heard and mm -hmm. I felt the call. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what that looked like. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I even really asked that question, what would I ever have to give them? Like, what do I have to help them? What do I have in me? And I just heard this still small voice that said, just remind them that they haven't been forgotten. Mm. And really that was the beginning of my journey. Wow, that's so powerful. Um, at, I, I remember you telling me about this and I and I read about it online. Um, I'm not sure how old you were, but you started, you, at a young age, you started a small after-school center in the heart of Oak Park. How old were you? Oh goodness, I was like, 22, so maybe This is before kids. This is before. Yes. So actually going back in 1997, I started a program in North Sacramento off of Auburn Boulevard. Okay. So in Watton Auburn uh -huh. um, originally and then moved to Oak Park. That center kind of got up and going and then, and then expanded and moved to Oak Park in 1999. Okay. Okay. Yes. So that was called the House of Acts. Yes. What gave you the inspiration to start an after-school center, you know, specifically, and how did that evolve into the ministry that now serves over, I think I read 300 families weekly. Yes. Or read, or, yes. Yeah. Um, what gave you the inspiration to start the center, yeah. the after-school center specifically? You know, um, today I'm a mom of yeah. three children. Yeah. And there is nothing more that I love in my life than being a mother. And I think like, I've always had that big sister that turned into like a mom's heart. 
Um, I love hospitality. I love entertaining. I love creating a space of connection and the warmth of invitation and having conversations. And so, you know, we saw all of these children that were just on the streets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether parents were working and, and poverty was a part of that, like working poor or whether parents were addicted and children were just left. There was numerous reasons in this community where you just saw children everywhere and they really became children of the neighborhood. Yeah. And, um, and so we, um, we bought our dream home, you know, at the time, I don't think that most people would have dreamed of their dream home in the middle of Oak Park, but I knew that living as a neighbor and living on purpose as a neighbor mm -hmm. was something, it was a very simple thing, mm -hmm. but I knew it was a part of the call of my life. For those outside of the Sacramento area, describe Oak Park. Yes. Or describe how, at least how it was back then. How it was back then. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Oak Park was so multifaceted. It was a, a community, uh, predominantly a community of color um, and uh, low income, um, a lot of poverty, prostitution, drugs, um, mm. homelessness. Crime. Crime, yeah. gangs. Um, but when you look back even in the roots of gang, it's like the desire for family. And then a lot of really beautiful things too, like old grandmothers that, you know, lived there and family and resilience. And I think, you know, for me, uh, one of the things that I have always gone into environments and I've had the eyes to see, I had a high school teacher that said to me one time, you're an incredible writer. The only thing is you see through rose colored glasses. But I really feel like she's you, you always Is that write, a compliment or I is that know, an insult? I saved that but I remembered that. You know, I think she meant it as like, hey, let's get a little but I just have always I think it's been a part of the gift that I've always been able to have the eyes to see the treasure mm -hmm. and what was there. Like it's like when you go to an estate sale and maybe you find something like, Oh, I don't think they know the value of this right. and I'm just gonna buy this right. right now. But you call your husband and you say, You I can't even believe what I just found. Yeah. I feel like that was the eyes that I always had for communities like this. Right. Like I could not believe what was found, what was hidden in there, masked in poverty and what appeared as broken, that there was wealth in there, there was treasure. And so we, my husband and I, um, when we got married, we bought our dream house and it's a crazy story, but we looked at each other one morning and we said, what if we give our house back, back to God? What if we move out and we create just a home where we move college students on top, we can give them free rent in exchange for living and serving in the neighborhood and we'll open this up to children after school and we'll just create a place of hospitality and so oh that's what gosh. we did and we would have like anywhere from 40 to 60 kids come through every single day they were children that were not signed up for local after school programs in the in the schools we didn't recruit we were open after hours when those programs closed, mm -hmm. kids would come for dinner. Mm -hmm. It was always organized chaos, but it was a home. Yeah. We did birthday parties for homeless. We did 36 baby showers one year for girls in the neighborhood or referrals from the district, um, girls that had been trafficked, girls, yeah. and we would just celebrate them and create a space of love and invitation. That's so cool. That is so cool. I don't know if I've ever heard any, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that's 
thrown parties for strangers. I mean, I, you hear about it, <laughs> but it's it's wonderful to be sitting in, in, across from someone um, who has. Um, okay, so now that we've given the, li- given the listeners um, some background on you, who you are and how you began doing this work, let's dive into the issue that's we all know is so misunderstood. And the fact is we're not looking at an issue that has laziness or carelessness at its core. A lot of what we're looking at, it's rooted in mental health conditions. And at the root of those conditions, it's something called attachment disorders. Mm -hmm. Uh, In our pre-interview, you educated me on this. Studies show that 90% of mental health disorders are attachment disorders, such as narcissism, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. all of these fall under the umbrella of attachment disorders. And the effects of this play out differently depending on the person's environment, you say. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, You know, I I am an avid listener. I love to talk, but I, I listen and I watch. And I remember several years ago, our current chief of police, uh, Daniel Hahn, he called me one day and he said, Dipmore, this homicide rate. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's out of control. Oh, I and didn't we, mean to laugh. I'm sorry. Right? I didn't know what you were no. going to say, but the fact he called you Dipmore made Dip me Moore. laugh. Okay, yeah. He calls me his mm. tiny giant sister. Okay. So uh, that's my buddy. Shout out to Chief Han. You'll always be, Aww. you'll always be our chief. Lots of shout outs um, today. I love it. But he, wonderful man. And uh, he said, this homicide rate, like, what are your thoughts on it? And yeah. you look at it nationally and the level of crime. And, and I just had this visual. I said, Daniel, I said, we are in a batting cage and the balls are coming a thousand miles an hour. We have to step out and ask the question, what happened? Yeah. And we look at four or five generations of family units being broken. We can go back six generations to teen pregnancy where your grandmothers today are 40, 35, 40 years old. Um, You know, so much has been lost when it comes to nurture and home and foundations and, and roots and wisdom. And in that, we've watched something lost. Mm -hmm. And I really began to listen and pay attention to the fact that when you look at things like human trafficking and going from city to city to city and place to place and homelessness, where when we have our housing program for, you know, young women that come in off the streets, we, I I did an interview a couple of days ago with KCRA, they're doing a deep dive on human trafficking in California. Mm. And one of our graduates is a part of it as well. Um, But as I was listening to Alexa's story of homelessness and poverty and her mother in addiction and walking down um, Watt Avenue at 14 years old, getting pulled over by a doctor who turned his tag around and said, would you like to make some money? And as a 14-year-old that was going to collect cans to get food for her family, she got in his car. She asked the question, are you going to kill me? And he said, no. He took her to the surf motel. He raped her two times, and then he took her to the bank for $20. She took that first $20, and she went to the AMPM, and she bought her first beer to numb herself. And oh, she realized that she could make $20 and buy her little brother diapers and it was much faster than the cans. And so when we look at the roots, and when I asked Alexis this question, she talked about when she came to City of Refuge, and she said it was the first time I had ever had the feeling of something that became the feeling of home. Mm -hmm. I never knew that feeling. 
And she talked about how we had nice couches and how she was so dirty. She was 19 years old. She said I was filthy. My, my trafficker was forcing me to go place to place. And when we think of homelessness, we don't think about trafficking victims, right? True. Homeless. True, yes. No place to go. Right. Finding safety. Yeah. Finding a belief, attaching to a belief to someone who can help them. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure they eat. We'll make sure they have a place. And she said, when I walked into City of Refuge, she said their couches were so nice. And it smelled so good. But they let me sit on their couch. Oh, my God. And the first time I came, I stayed for 24 hours and I left because I just, it was so weird. The second time I came, I stayed for three weeks. And I had a feeling and it was sad for me to leave, but he kept on calling. And the third time I came, I remember Miss Rochelle text me and she said, Alexis, are you ready to come home? And she was never mad at me when I left and she never judged me for wanting to leave and she was never acted disappointed but she said do you want to come home and she said for the first time that word it meant something to me because there was a feeling I'd never had before and I asked her I said Alexis can I ask you something had you ever had that feeling before talk to me about being 13 to 17 years old talk about childhood because I think when we look at this issue of homelessness we can at minimum be compassionate toward children that are in these situations. And so I said to her, I said, Alexis, I said, talk to me about your childhood. Had you ever had that feeling of home? Because I think the feeling of home doesn't merely come from a beautiful environment. There's friendships that create that feeling of home. We all hopefully have a friend that we can sit with and say, oh, you feel like home. Right. You know, like I can just kind of uh, let my hair down and, you know, and makeup doesn't have to be done. And maybe I'm, house doesn't have to be clean. And maybe I'm six pounds overweight today, but you just feel like home and you're just going to love me. Has there ever been anyone in your life that has looked with you those, with those eyes or belief that's felt safe, that you felt connection to, that gave you that feeling? She closed her eyes and she thought, and she said, Never. And I said, talk to me about that. When was the first time you had that feeling? And she said, when I came to City of Refuge. But it wasn't a feeling I ever knew before. It was something that had to be introduced. And so my studies on attachment disorders Mm -hmm. in early childhood, Mm -hmm. um, uh, insecure attachments when there has not been attachment between zero and five. Right. And the going from place to place to place to place. You see it a lot with military children, right? And family. Oh, yeah, when you see, yeah. you're, you're seeing yeah. these things where it's like mobility and not having roots and not having secure relationships. When I think about social media, we're all in danger of this, right? right, right of right. what is the real as opposed to we just keep it moving. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that when we lack compassion, we lose connection and understanding in a way that is so harmful to environments. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because with, um, you know, for the listeners, um, you know, it's easy, well, for the purpose of this conversation, it's easy to talk about attachment disorders where it it pertains to more marginalized communities or mm-hmm. disenfranchised people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it also comes, you see it in um, CEOs, the wealthy CEO that yes. didn't have secure attach- attachments. Um, yes. They, you, you talked, I found this fascinating 
um, just to give the listeners like an example of what you mean by this. This is not um, only um, this does not only apply to who we're talking about today. This can apply across the board. Across the board. So using the the extreme of like the wealthy CEO, how right. would that apply? Absolutely. I think you look at environment. Like there's that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, yeah. right? And we all have grown up in environments of what has been familiar. Mm-hmm. And so you look at a rich CEO or a powerful politician, most people, the majority of people that end up in those trajectories, it was environmentally, the oper- it made way for them, yeah. right? And so, but you look at parentless children where there was an attachment passed from nanny to nanny or absent, absent family, no attachments. And then you continue on this trajectory and it's like there's nothing that ever taught us nurture or having mm-hmm. an attachment. And mm-hmm. so the ability to absolutely be able to disassociate and still do what we know, like yeah. we're pursuing power, we're money. pursuing money, mm-hmm. we're pursuing survival. It's like you find these things, how they've made their way into every environment, whether in the prison system or the capital. Yes, exactly. Which you, you were saying, it, it, could, it could be like a wealthy CEO or it could be a pimp. You know, Absolutely. it's like they, they each took what they needed from their environment yes. because of a lack of attention. Yeah, I find that just so fascinating. Um, you, you mentioned to me that you've known many people who've wound up homeless after aging out of the foster care system. And there was a story you shared about a 13-year-old girl who showed up at your mm. door at 3 a.m. This was yeah. a while, this is a while back, but this yes. is one I remember. Somebody had chosen your house specifically to drop her off at, telling her that these are church people, they'll know how to help mm. you. You suspected that she had been trafficked and was um, escaping that environment. How common yeah. is it for homeless women to have had a similar story to this young girl at such a young age? How common, like how often is uh, the homeless women that you do meet, is yeah. the story similar when they're 13? Are they going through something similar? So um, I would venture to say that I have never had someone walk through my doors at City of Refuge, whether in our refuge home, which houses everything from trafficking victims to former foster youth to young women leaving domestic violence um, to, you know, m- older males that mm-hmm. walk through the doors at City of Refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask them when it began, it was childhood. Right. Yeah. It goes back to childhood traumas and environments. And so familiar environments and You know, when we see severe mental health, I remember having a conversation with one of our staff this year. We're seeing so much borderline personality disorder, which is becoming more common and more conversational. And it's one of the most difficult um, mental health diagnosis that it's 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 new. Um, There's a lot of research done around it. But how do we create um, environments where this can be healed? Can the brain heal? We're finding so much medical research around brain scans and um, things like that that are so fascinating. Even when you look at trauma to the brain, Mm -hmm. like those who, football players that have had concussions, um, people in military, um, people who have been domestic violence uh, Uh, victims who have been hit in the head you actually if you do a brain scan you can see the imprint of where the trauma happened on the brain Uh and it actually can even wire our brain in a certain way it's absolutely fascinating that the research and the studies that are coming out that is attaching mental illness um, to attachments and trauma and so um 
we are, anytime that I'm in a state of active listening, it's because I don't know what to do. And we're seeing something that we feel ill-equipped for. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to stop and listen again and ask the questions. Because I believe that every person that walks through our door that we serve, we mutually serve one another. And they're equipping us to continue to build and to prepare and to say, the world can't be lost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If the world is lost, we have a problem. Yeah. But guess what? We're on Humanity Unlocked. Yeah. (laughs) The world is not lost because every single listener that is listening in, we have something in our hands and someone that the world, their world can change because of us. Mm -hmm. Or someone who is listening that needs to know you are not lost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, maybe you don't associate with someone living in an encampment or when you hear that word foster youth, but maybe you associate with the person who you say, you know what? Pay attention to my own attachments. Where have I become cold? Where right. have I where have I lost hope? Where have I lost my way? Because there was Velcro on my heart that used to feel. Mm-hmm. And I find myself just flipping through life like a story that lasts a minute and I move on. Mm-hmm. We're becoming so desensitized that it's like we've lost one thing. We've lost love. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um your tagline at City of Refuge is return dignity, restore lives, rebuild community. And at the center mm. of everything you do is you create an invitation to return. You have spaces of restoration if they choose. And the way you do this is through monthly dinners or potlucks. You do an ice cream truck outreach. You offer emergency housing. Um, I'm just going down the list. There's a community yes. cafe for them to have a cup of coffee or a snack. You offer laundry and shower day, addiction recovery group, grocery distribution, diaper distribution, and resource hotline. Um, there's also a farm in Vacaville that you partner with, therapeutic services, horse therapy, all of this with no strings attached and no pressure if they're not ready. Mm-hmm. The mission really seems to center around hospitality, and in doing so, you're creating community. You're creating dignity. Those that choose to accept the invitation, what is their response to it? Because mm. I know I'm just going to give yeah. you like a little – like when you talk about the fact that garbage is never left and how they ask for help and all of that, yes. that response – powerful so powerful. I shared that with my husband he's like you're kidding yeah I um again I think like I've been in an active season of listening so much and watching and like when the world is loud when things are big I I've learned to slow down and like every day I one of the things that we train our team on the most is learning how to de-escalate right and um but it's like the world the last few years our nation was very like escalated Mm -hmm. and so when things are escalated it's like slow down and pay attention and listen and I remember one time I heard I heard this voice that said to quiet the noise and listen to the sound and I'm like quiet the noise and listen to the sound like we can live in very noisy environments. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, but the sound, like there's still heartbeats, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's still hearts that are beating. And yeah. as long as there are hearts that are beating, the noise may cause us to see one thing, but there's still a sound. Yeah. And um, it's a sound of life. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's the evidence that life is still here. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I just felt a pay attention, you know, are when I think about the word homelessness, which that's what we're talking about today, we, again, our eyes go to a place and we imagine encampments and garbage and streets. And the multifaceted way that we we see that person um, come through our doors, like when I think about our, our housing program, it's women and children, mm-hmm. right? And so foster, trafficked, abused, those things. Um, at our at our center, that we keep our doors open. Um, we have classes a few days a week where we do shut down and open back at one o'clock, but we merely keep our rocking chairs out. And it's really about creating a hospitable environment. And so those that are on the streets, they know that they can sit in our rocking chairs. They know that they can come for dinner once a month. The front mm-hmm. porch, which we started, I'm like, you know what? Let's just do something where we just stay open for dinner. Let's try this every single month. And we always could use volunteers or meals. Or if you have a restaurant, we'd love to have oh, like a restaurant in. like yeah. cater for That'd it once amazing. a month. But we just le- over- yeah. open up our doors for dinner. Yeah. And every single month, we have a minimum of 80 people come through that uh-huh. just come for dinner. We have an open mic. It feels chaotic. It feels like, you know, they used to call Big Mama, you know, an African-American community, Big Mama's house, where you just, you leave it open. You never know who's going to come in. We celebrate everything from college graduations. We had one of our graduates um, who was actually trafficked by her family when she came to us five years ago. Um, She escaped. She was an immigrant. Um, She graduated from Sac State with her degree, her bachelor's degree, and just got into the master's program. And so we have people that we celebrate that come in and and we have birthdays and we have people that come in off the streets and... Mm -hmm. Maybe they relapsed and they're just coming in for a shower and something to eat, but you're all welcome at the table. But one of the things that I noticed one day, and our mayor actually came through, and I asked him, I said, look at this, Mayor Steinberg. I said, what do you notice out there? And he said, oh, they're such nice people. This is what he didn't notice. Mm -hmm. They were homeless. Mm -hmm. He couldn't recognize it. Why? There was no garbage. There was no tents. There was no big bags. In fact... Lonnie was in our lot picking up any garbage that was in there. Mm -hmm. We didn't ask him to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another young man was sweeping the gutters. Mm -hmm. You'll never see garbage out front of City of Refuge. There's ownership. That garbage is not... We have a vacant lot that we're building on, Mm -hmm. and you've got encampments all down. If you go down Broadway and Alhambra, there's encampments and tents everywhere. We have never had that happen. At City of Refuge in our vacant lot. Mm-hmm. Why? I one day I said, pay attention. Why? Why is there not garbage? And I thought about Frankie, who's been off of drugs for eight months and is now learning irrigation and living at the farm, mm-hmm. Beloved Farm, um, which we we partner with, and it's an incredible space. Um, I think about Oma, who literally I watched her mind heal. And she's housed, and she was a veteran. And I think about Ryan, who's now a security guard, and he didn't speak, and he was on the street corner for 12 years. And he's now housed. He is the most incredible man. He does security for a ballet company. I'm just like, what happened? Something said, pay attention. Why no garbage? What happened? Why? And those are just a few. I can give yeah. you name oh, after. Yeah, we no, don't have no. a program for them. Mm-hmm. That's not our mission mm-hmm. to go down to X Street and go into homeless camps. We just make room through ho- hospitality. What happened? 
they were known. Mm-hmm. There, something in them began to come to life day after day. They built consistent relationship. Mm-hmm. They did. They, they had friendship. I remember Frankie telling me, Frankie's 33 years old, and he was 13 when he was left on the streets. His mom died, and he was in the foster care system, ended up in a terrible home, ran away, and has been on the streets since. And he's 33 years old now, and if you need uh, irrigation, he's your guy. He's healing. There's something that's happening. But he had a chance to become known and had a front door to walk in. And we saw life begin to change. Mm-hmm. That says something to me. Yeah. Yeah. His story is, is and I actually have a note in my, here to, to talk about it. But um, yeah. And you told me about, we talked about ownership a little bit and how when something belongs to you, you treat it well. And if nothing has ever mm-hmm. belonged to you, if you've never owned anything and you've never known anyone who's owned anything this yes. might be the first time that pride and respect is shown because you're a part of something you take ownership of of this and this might be the right. first time which is I mean again like I went over this with my husband I don't I rarely go over my podcast with my husband mm. but this one was so moving and I was like listen to this listen to this and he was like it the whole thing is just blown away because it's a it's like an ex- experiment in um in behavior, if you give somebody, show somebody this, yeah. how will they respond? You know, you know, I am um, probably like many of us out there. I, um, I, I battled. You wouldn't believe this about me, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna just like sister to sister okay. with you for a second. Um, I battled depression for a very long time, in and out of my life. Mm. It, it could have been when I look back at my own family and mental health as I met my birth father and all of that that was in my own family. And I think it started about 19 years old, seasons of it through different things that I went through mm-hmm. in life. It's like, we, you know, we look at people and we think heroes and it's like, hey, listen, we are literally all out here trying to do our best. But yeah. one thing I have really been intentional about is my own journey of healing and when things come up just taking it to the right space whether it's been therapy whether it's been like going and see a psychologist at Kaiser whether it's been healthy friendships but staying on that course and you know I want to encourage anyone who is battling depression anxiety like stay on the course of healing Mm -hmm. because freedom is so possible it's so powerful and it's something that like we I think the majority of us have battled with in yeah. different seasons of life, yeah. whether it's been environment or situation. And I'm just so grateful to say, I'm like, it's been like three or four years that like I've really, really, really been healed. And, you know, and um, I just, I haven't visited there for a very long time. Um, but when I think about, I can identify with states of depression, whether it was like a young mom with postpartum, of looking at a living room or a pile of dishes and you look at that and it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. Okay, everybody can I think majority yes, of us a lot can, of us can relate can. to that. Yes. And so I am a creative person and we were, we were I think many of us like we were made to create mm-hmm. regardless of um, what we utilize that for whether in the office or to design like we were made to create and and being creative is such a beautiful thing but when we're in that state of like depression or you feel anxious, there's nothing in us that can create because we are not attached to a belief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like vision 
keeps us forward. Yeah. Depression and anxiety keeps us bound. Mm -hmm. And so when we're bound, there's an inability to attach to a dream, Mm -hmm. to a forward, Mm -hmm. or to a concept Mm -hmm. that life can be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's like, would you agree that all of us can identify? Like, I'm like, okay, we can, most of us can go back. And so when you're in a constant state of that, we get to reintroduce attachment. Yeah. So, so I, for example, room checks in our housing. Let's talk about like the the basics, the daily of housing. Yes. Like we can talk about the rescue stories. Yeah. We can talk about all of those things, the amazing program that we do. But let's keep it real. Room checks, clean rooms, laundry, things that people have never been taught. Um, I remember one day going into one of our young ladies' rooms with one of my staff, and it was like um, write-up after write-up because her, like, not a write-up, like a punishment, but like you're not keeping your room, yeah. you're not doing your laundry. I mean, these are things and life skills like we have to expect of people. Yeah, like yeah. we want to equip you and prepare yeah. you to live different. Like that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. You're coming in, you're choosing restoration, and so like – it's like our kids, like we call them up, we mm-hmm. see more in you, we mm-hmm. believe in you, like mm-hmm. let's let's create a space of order. And so with this particular one la- young lady who's now a preschool teacher and just wow. thriving, she's absolutely beautiful, um, it was like no matter what we did, her room was this. And I remember sharing with one of my staff, it's beyond defiance, there's more. So we walked into her room one day and it was horrific, I mean, she would want to keep the dirty di- the dirty diapers. It smelled the piles of clothes. The like no, like this is your responsibility. We went in there, and I knew that it was more. So I literally went with our therapist, and we sat on the floor in the middle of this mess, mm-hmm. and we asked the question, "What happened? Yeah, what is this for you? What is it? An unwillingness or is it an inability? What is this for you?" And she began to tell the story of her actually growing up in a single mom who was a working mom. They grew up poor. Mom was very absent. But mom's men would come and sexually abuse her. When she told her mom, she had to keep it a secret. Fix your face, take a shower, present, 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 and just go out and be presentable. And she said it started when she was 13 years old. She started her period. And it just felt like a mess. And so she actually started creating messes in her room and it would allow it to be messy because it was the one place where there was this really, it seems like a strange thing, but she could sit in her mess. Because she went back out, it was like everything had to be together. Okay. And prim and perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And this this something happened, something broke inside mm-hmm. of her mm-hmm. But she would literally live in this mess. Mm -hmm. And it represented like the internal being of her that felt like this, not like this. Mm -hmm. And she said she had like one friend who sometimes would kind of help her come and clean. But it was in that place she would just unravel and she would look around and I'm sure it was mixed with depression and like being invisible. So it being clean was like a trigger for her. It was. And it became a mental health disorder of like when you look at hoarding. Yeah. Hoarding is a mental health disorder, yes. right? Yep. You look at that and you look at hoarders and there's so much attached to it. 
But it's like, what do we see on the streets? We see an entire like structure and I don't want to get like political, but like where we've just said, okay, just stay there, yeah, live in this mess. But I'm like, there's humans yeah. in that mess. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there's humans that have lost their way. Yes. There's humans that are so stuck in years of trauma and addiction. And, you know, I have lots of ideas that we won't talk do. about here. And I'm hoping one day to go to DC and talk about some of these oh, things and really create the ands. Yeah. You know, I understand we have to have like higher arching things to create housing for millions of people and all of that. But it's it's not about housing. No, no. It's about finding the if that, humans. If I've in learned there. anything mm-hmm. um, in, in meeting you and speaking with you, it, it's that. Yeah. Um, there's so much more where this has come from. Um, you've said that you offer an opportunity for attachments. Again, you create, you recreate that opportunity. And in doing this, they begin to see the reflection of who they are because they've been given the space to change their minds about themselves and not, yes. not just become a better version or someone new, but they uncover who they were always created to be. Mm-hmm. Um, can you elaborate on this a bit? We have a sign in our bathroom um, where individuals can shower when they come and take laundry. And um, it says it's never too late to become what you might have been. Yeah. And I think that's for all of us. Yeah. And it's It's like, oh, I was talking to one of our staff today. Her name is Michelle and she's absolutely amazing. And she works at the farm and she runs our farmer's market in Oak Park. And we have a 22 acre fully regenerative organic farm. Um, So if anyone needs produce, shout out for Be Love Farm. Come and find us. Organic produce. It's amazing. And you would be supporting workforce development through City of Refuge. Yes. But Michelle is an incredible mother. She actually, um, she put a sign on her door because of like a lot of her history and a lot of the chaos that her home represented. And she came on, did a welfare to work program with us um, and started with an internship. She's now full time with us and she is brilliant. She loves the farm. She's such a farm girl. She's learning all of these things. Um, she's, she's just coming to life and becoming a leader in her own community and she actually put a sign that's laminated on her front door that said if you knew me before let me reintroduce myself to you Mm -hmm. and let me let me tell you what this home is about and the values that I hold and she actually put that sign on her door because people know Michelle right and it's like we're not bringing the crazy all up in here anymore and I you know I said to her I'm like look at you you're so fun you're a great employee you're a friend you're a mom you're a leader you like you need to run day camps you need to get your degree in early childhood education and she looked at me she goes Miss Rochelle she's like this is like the real me. Like I feel like I met the real me and she's like in her early 30s yeah. and like made a lot of parenting mistakes with her older ones that like you can't make that, you can't get back that time, but you get to rebuild and create a new invitation even for your children. Yeah. Like many of us who have like maybe lost our way in younger years of parenting and it's like we don't need to overcompensate and make that up there's no let it be let it be the end but continue to become Mm -hmm. because children want to come back to families Mm -hmm. children need families and we can have different spaces where we get to reintroduce ourselves i'm like I am constantly reintroducing myself and re- and reinventing myself. I'm like, I did this Instagram post last night or like a little story. I'm like, leadership is hard because you're living it out loud in front. 
trying things on, learning through mistakes, learning through everyone that you employ or lead or bring in. And I'm like, oh, don't do that again. Oh, staff five years ago, I'm so sorry. I was a little too harsh or I neglected you in that way or you were right. Like learning to actively listen so that we can continually reinvent and reintroduce ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think like the same grace that like I want, I want, I want people to continue to say like, wow, she's growing. Wow. She's becoming a learning, growing leader. As long as I'm here on this earth is who I want to be. And it's like, if I want that for others, I want to be the kind of person who gives that to the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates a lot with me too. Um, do you, you made a reference um, to give everybody a visual. You made a reference to that a scene in the movie Hook, mm. um, and I'm not going to do it justice, so I'll let you tell mm. that reference. It's such a good reference. Oh my gosh! There's okay. There's two. I'm so a Peter Pan girl. I, love, <laughs> I you know what? I'm just childhood. I love I love childhood, and so it's like it's so fun how it's like things are coming back to childhood yeah. for me. Um, but there's there's two. So there's Hook where there's one day um, in Hook that he's looking into the water and um, he's still that staunch businessman from Wall Street and he ends up in Neverland and he's so mad that he's there and this is so ridiculous and he just wants to go home. And um, Tink is like, oh, oh, Peter. But he's like, who are you talking about? Stop calling me Peter. And the Lost Boys are at the table and they're using their beautiful imagination and there's colors and food and they're just having so much fun and they're so free and Peter is looking into the water and all of a sudden he gets a glimpse of his reflection Mm -hmm. and he looks and there's a slight memory and Tink comes on his shoulder and she goes (gasps) (laughs) like there you are you're in green you're not in a suit you're in a hat and a feather and he looks and the reflection lasts this time a little bit longer Uh And then it comes back again and it lasts a little bit longer and it comes back again and all of a sudden this joy comes completely over him and Tink is going crazy and she's like, there you are, Peter, there you are. And it's like, I think there's that story of Peter Pan that it's like, that's what we get to do. We get to give people a space to see their reflection again. And maybe the first time they see it a little bit and the next and the next, but then we say, there you are. There was the Peter. There was the Kim that you were meant to be there you are like the things that they said that you were the words that were spoken the lies that you rehearsed that's not who you are look at you there you are like you're beautiful and there's another scene in like all ask me to rate the Peter Pan movies and I will (laughs) but there's a new one that came out Peter Pan and Wendy that also like just gripped my heart for I believe the season that I'm walking in and I believe that our state and our nation is walking in and this is what must return. So Wendy is in this old jail, Hook and the Pirates have her locked up and she's in the cell and she's just crying. She wants to go home. Mm And so she starts to comfort herself because she knows how to comfort herself. Mm. And she starts to sing a song. It's a lullaby. And it makes Hook very angry. And he says, what are you singing? And she's just crying and singing. And he says, I said, what are you singing? And she said, it's a song my mother used to sing. And she said, it's a lullaby. It's a song my mother used to sing. And all of a sudden, 
Hook stops and this glaze comes over his eyes and he goes back into the banks of his memories and he sees himself as a baby once upon a time he was held. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the storm comes in and all of the mothers are gone and the children are lost and he was left not held. Mm-hmm. And he says, mother? And you see this softness come upon him and he puts his head back against the wall and he slides down and this tear runs down his face and he said, mother. And you watched what life became when being held once upon a time was taken. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh God, sorry. Ooh. And I, and I, and I and I I love I love the stories I love the information I love the things that we're we're able I mean we're able to have access to you know stories from around the world and here and statistics and data and all of these things like we're a very smart people yeah we know a lot mm-hmm. but I think that we forgot yeah. how to hold one another yeah and many of us were never held mm-hmm. and touched. And I'm like, you better believe that I'm going to walk one day into the Capitol. I'm going to give my, <laughs> ah, the, the White House. We're going to go there. Yeah. Like, I, I've been honored to actually be in spaces in the Capitol, speaking to senators and assemblymen and ideas that I have. And I'm like, I want to be a builder, right? I, I don't want to be someone that tears things down and says, what you're doing is not working. But I want to be someone that says, can I add a perspective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, yeah. We, can we build an and? Can we create an and? Can I, can I speak to someone? something that will maybe allow you to pay attention to more. And one day I'm going to go to the White House. I'm going to, mm-hmm. we're going to just do this right now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk to people that look at homelessness and housing and answers and how we build back for families. Yeah. And, and can we build the and yeah. that, that remind humanity as long as we are here that we were held. Yeah. Because if we continue to go in this trajectory, we are in, we are in danger. That's all for part one of this episode. The story continues in part two and is available now.